The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for what you need to know to start or grow a business investing in real estate. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meets tomorrow evening at the usual location, the CAA building at the corner of Reading and Seymour Avenues in the now flattened Old Swift and Commons slash Jordan Crossing. Uh, CAA building's still there, though, which is a good thing, because tomorrow evening, if you are a landlord or are thinking about one, uh, we've got a meeting you're going to want to attend. The early meeting for uh, advanced investors is why I love college properties with a local landlord who, for most of his real estate career, uh, bought student rental houses. Uh, the early invest uh, the early meeting for new investors is about how to find the value of properties in any market. The main meeting is then a debate about the best kinds of properties. We've got experienced rental housing providers who like low income properties, high income properties, section eight properties, uh, properties that uh, are multifamily, single families, and they are going to make their arguments for why each one of them is the best, at least for them. So you can get more information about that meeting at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com. And uh, show up and if it's your first meeting, just say you heard about it on Real Life Real Estate and you will attend at no charge. My guest today is... Uh, an expert in what he likes to call the hidden market. Now, the hidden market is uh, partly comprised of what you all have read about, heard about, um, perhaps stayed up at night worrying about, which is the shadow inventory created by the uh, foreclosure crisis. Uh, Tony Youngs has been investing in real estate now for nearly 30 years. He started out, as a lot of us do, with no money and bad credit and a seminar under his belt. And after all of this time, he is still in the real estate investing business. He makes about 100 offers a month around the nation, applying the exact strategies that we are going to talk about tonight when we discuss with him the hidden market in real estate. Tony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Well, thank you, Vina. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, it is a pleasure to have you, and and I should mention that uh, you are the brother of Pete Youngs, who was on the show about a month ago, 
and that you and Pete are going to be here in Ohio over the course of the next two weeks uh, doing a Saturday, an all-day Saturday meeting uh, that is uh, half the day is going to be him talking about more rehab tips, and the other half of the day is going to be you sort of digging down into these uh, shadow inventory deal-finding things. And uh, this Saturday you're going to be in Columbus, and next Saturday it will be in Cincinnati. And folks can learn more about those sessions at centralohiorea.com for Columbus or at cincinnatiorea.com for Cincinnati. Now, uh, Tony, let, let, let's start with this. Uh, you, you, you say hidden market. That's, that's the name of your presentation. Uh, you know, I know when you go around and talk to, to groups around the country, you, you say I'm talking about the hidden market. Can you define what a hidden market property is for us? Yes. Um, you know, we all have seen them even in our own neighborhoods. Uh, a hidden market property is a house that looks distressed in some kind of way. It might have high grass. It might have peeling paint or gutters falling off of the roof. It might have bushes that are, you know, just growing wildly. And it's just, you know, a sign of no pride of ownership, where the houses next door to it may look like they have pride of ownership. So they don't always stand out, but uh, that's what I'm talking about. Now, these homes could be vacant or they could be occupied. Uh, but one thing that they don't have is a for sale sign. And I have found that uh, these properties can be bought, but not a, not a lot of people know that they can. And uh, so that's what I've that's what I've been uh, good at over the last several years is you know inquiring about these properties and and I make an offer to buy them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the you know it, it's funny that what you're talking about here is really one of the simplest, cheapest ways of finding deals that there is. I mean, people are constantly asking me, well, should I market to probate? Should I market to, you know, foreclosure? Should I market to this? Should I market to that? Should I buy a list? Should I send a postcard? And what I say is, you know what, if you're on a budget, you need to drive for dollars. Yeah. You, you need to you need to just go out and look at look look for some vacant ugly properties, and then and, and then when they do it, you know what their next question is, and the, and this is going to be my next question for you is, well, what if what if I see this property and I and I go and I look in the tax rolls and I see that they have the owner's name and then the owner's address is the same address as the property that I know perfectly well is vacant. Yes, well, what I do is I send a letter anyway, and it may get returned. But, uh, you know, i found that a lot of times the, the people are still coming by to get their mail or they're having one of their neighbors pick up their mail if they don't want to be, you know, found or whatever. <clears throat> And uh, so I send a letter anyway. Then I talk to neighbors and see if they know where the people might be, uh, you know, and I just either give my card to them and say, would you have them contact me? Or some neighbors are gracious enough to say, yes, uh, they moved over in this other neighborhood, and uh, so here's their number, you know. And uh, so, you know, you just sort of got to be a private eye. You just got to 
put on your Colombo techniques and uh, see what you can do to find who the owner is. And uh, But, you know, you were talking about driving for dollars, and I just want to take that a step further because, you know, I've tried just driving for dollars, and you get bored with it, and you don't stay consistent. Uh, after a while, you just say, well... And, you know, you really don't have anywhere to go. So what I do, and I do this every week, I, I plot a course of foreclosure properties. I, every week I say, okay, here's 12 foreclosures, and I'm going to go out and look at these. And that gives me a reason and a destination. And then I find 10, sometimes 20 or 30 hidden market properties on the way. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so it gives me a reason to be there. So it's kind of like fate, if you will, <laughs> that, that tells me what hidden markets I'm supposed to find that day. And what I've found, Vina, and I do this all over the United States, that every time I plot a course of 12 foreclosure properties in any city USA, at the end of the day, I get the same result. I have a page and a half of delinquent, I mean, of distressed property addresses that I can follow up on. And then out of those, you know, I'll send letters, I'll follow up and talk to neighbors, I'll do things. But I always end up with at least one maybe two houses out of that day's trip. And, uh, and and the foreclosure properties I go see, what I'm doing these days is I'm mixing a mixture of some houses that are recently out of bankruptcy, and I get some pre-foreclosures, and I get some uh, uh, recently repossessed uh, bank-owned properties to see you know, so I can sort of start analyzing those before they, you know, come on the market. And uh, so it's just a real put-together, it's a well-oiled machine that has been working for me for several years. And, and uh, you know, I tell others to do it, and they, they have success with it, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. And when we come back from the break, we are going to talk more about the hidden market and how to approach some of the other things that you just mentioned, like properties that are in pre-foreclosure, just out of bankruptcy or recently repossessed from the bank. We're also going to take caller questions at 877-772-9658. If you'd like to send us an email, send it to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail. Com, or you can even tweet us, Twitter at Real Estate Goddess. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Tony Youngs, and he is here to help you understand uh, a market that a lot of people, a lot more people seem to talk about being interested in than actually do anything about. So in our show today, we're going to try and give you some direct tips for how to deal with these, uh, what what Tony calls hidden market properties, properties that are clearly unwanted, unloved, are probably costing someone money, and yet do not have a for sale sign out front, are not listed with a real estate agent, and are not out there on Craigslist somewhere. And Tony, I think you made an excellent point when you said that 
the the driving for dollars can I mean it could get boring. It's you know you're driving you're driving around running writing down addresses, but you know, to me checks for 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 successful deals overcome a lot of boring and <laughs> and you also mentioned that um uh, many times uh, people will stop at the stage where they see that the property ownership is in the name of someone but the tax mailing address is the address of the property and they say well you know they clearly don't live there so i'm just not going to i'm not going to do anything about this and uh, my my philosophy on that is if if somebody's making it hard to find them, that means your competitors gave up, and that should give you even more reason to move forward in trying to find them. Excellent point. Um, that's the way. That's what I do. I just I just say, well, you know, I'm going to attack it from every angle because you know when I when, you know even though I said that just plain old driving for dollars is boring. When I see a distressed property, I get very excited. So therefore, I want to, I can't wait to do a title search. I can't wait to do the research. I can't wait to find out what it's worth. I can't wait to, you know, sort of estimate what what the repairs might be. Because, you know, finding them, that's what gets you turned on to that you may have found a good money-making deal there. So... I love it when I find one. It's uh, it really overcomes the boredom, and uh, and you know, I'm I'm not saying it's bored. It's just that I've I've had so many people come up to me and say, "Oh, driving for dollars. I've done that. Uh, you know, that's that's boring and stuff." You know, and I just say, "Well, you know, that's one of the best ways to find deals these days uh, because it's it can be competitive and." some markets and uh you know i just find that you know in my area if i make an offer on a listed property there's not much inventory and uh so they get multiple offers and by time you make the highest offer to beat everybody else there's no room for rehab left, and uh, you can't really make any profit. And uh, so that's what we're in the business for: is to make a little money. And mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. very true. Now, now let's talk about the the other piece of this because you know clearly your whole your whole strategy here for for buying properties. And again, I want to I want to say this is this is what you do. This is not just what you teach. This is how you have made your money investing in real estate. Uh, the other piece of it is when you, you, you know, you, you maybe you drive out, you find 50 driving for dollar properties on a Saturday morning. And some of them, it's going to turn out, are already in the name of a bank. And yet again, it's not something that's got a sign in front or is in MLS or is being actively marketed. And some, sometimes those properties have been in the name of that bank for months and it, it's, yeah, it's, I, it's never been marketed. So, so in a case like that, what do you do? Well, I will contact the bank uh, and just see if they're interested in selling it. And here's what my experience is. Uh, if it's Bank of America or if it's Wells Fargo or Fannie Mae or HUD, they're just going to tell you, 
to just, you know, wait until there's a sign in the yard and uh, they just flat out tell you that, you know, they'll get around to selling it when they want to. <laughs> and so there's not a lot we can do about that. But the ones that are owned by small banks or financial institutions, you can contact them and they may be interested in entertaining an offer. And, uh, you know, you can find on the Internet these days, you can find email addresses directly to their REO department. And you can find, uh, you know, fax numbers and contact information for their loss mitigation departments. And uh, so, you know, you just got to be able to know how to do a title search to find out who actually owns the title to the, to the property. And then you got to contact them. And there's nothing wrong with contacting them to see if they would be interested in selling it. Mhm. Mhm. And oh. and and many times uh especially anymore the 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 market at the level of the financial institutions has become very complex. And many times uh, you know Bank of America will have uh, 1500 uh properties that uh, where the, the 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 mortgages are bad that they have identified as properties they don't particularly want to own <laughs> they they don't they don't okay. want to do the foreclosure on and so rather than do the foreclosure or do nothing they'll just package those up and they'll sell them to some private equity fund somewhere in California or Texas and then it's that private equity fund that will end up doing the foreclosure and that's the name you will see and people get confused because they say well this says you know, Fred, Fred and Mary's Fund 3, and I don't even know, is that a bank? What is that? And it, it's been my experience that when you see something like that, that's a, it, it's clearly some sort of institutional owner, but it's not a bank. Uh, they do want to sell. Yes, correct. And, uh, and you know, it is, uh, it could be some kind of a hedge fund or whatever. And, uh, you know, I know, and you probably know too, I bet you've owned a lot of out-of-state properties, and, and I know that when I have a property out-of-state, if I can't take care of it or keep, uh, keep it uh, maintained, and someone calls me and says, hey, I'd buy that thing from you, I might just sell it because it may become a headache to me. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think that's what happens with some of those funds or those institutional owners that own them. It's worth pursuing because, you know, Vena, if someone's wanting to learn the real estate business, that's all part of it. All the work you put involved in trying to find out, it actually is good practice. It's, it's making you an expert. So <clears throat> I find myself <clears throat> willing to, to go the extra mile to see if I can get a good deal and, uh, so I would contact that fund or whoever it is and, and just see. You've got a 50-50 shot that you could get it. And I do see a lot of people that they just assume things. They say, well, they probably wouldn't want to sell. It's a hedge fund. They probably don't want to sell it. Or, or, you know, that person who's not taking care of their yard, they, that's the way they live. Well, what's it going to take to just ask and find out? 
And uh, instead of just assuming, they probably won't want to sell it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good point. I, I can't tell you how many times, particularly early on in my real estate business, I I decided for myself without even contacting a seller that they either weren't going to want to sell or weren't going to want to sell for my price or uh, we're going to get upset if I called them or whatever. And then uh, as time passed, I, I realized that you don't know that it doesn't matter what you think about the, what you think you know about the story. You don't know the story until you've talked to the seller. That's correct. And, uh, and like I say, all of, the, all of the effort you put into it makes you an expert because then you really can say to yourself, I know, what, you know what's happening. Because I've seen a lot of people tell me, they say, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do this. So I give it a try to, so I know the answers for myself. But all that fine-tuning is what makes you an expert, is uh, just, you know, trial and error through the business. And, you know, if, if we have a minute before the next break, I, I've got a, I wanted to talk about how the business can teach you what you need to know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, do you uh go go right ahead. A break? <laughs> okay. Well, well, when I first got started, I was a newbie. And uh so I had done a successful deal after my first seminar, and I decided that I liked the business. I liked the paychecks, I liked everything about it. So, I went ahead and quit my job and became a full-time real estate investor. And then so I realized that when I quit my job, I didn't get a paycheck every Thursday like I used to. So I knew that unless I was out there making offers, I don't get paid. <laughs> so, so I decided to become a door knocker uh, because I was sending letters to people in foreclosure, but I wasn't getting the results I was hoping for. You know, uh, so I said, well, I can increase my odds of getting a deal if I knock on some doors. So I started knocking. And it was funny how a lot of the people, they would say, no, I'm not interested in selling my home. I'm just going to file bankruptcy. So that'll stop the foreclosure. And I would say, oh, okay, well, thank you very much. And then I would move on, <laughs> discouraged because everybody seemed to want to file bankruptcy. And then I would go to the foreclosure auction the following month, and I would see some of those very properties get auctioned off. And so I'd go, wait a minute. I thought they filed bankruptcy, and that was going to save their home. And it turns out that... I, I couldn't understand it, so I kept saying to myself, I need to learn about bankruptcy. I need to learn all I can about it. And I looked around in the clubs, and this was back in the late 80s. I looked in the clubs and the library and everything, and there wasn't hardly anything or anybody teaching anything about bankruptcy. So... I just, I knew that I needed to learn about it, and then I, I actually found uh, a paralegal series 
it was like six classes that you had to take if you wanted to be a paralegal down at a community college. So I took that series, and it taught me all about bankruptcy. And then when I was out in the business knocking on doors and people would talk to me about bankruptcy, I would say, look, I'm not an attorney, but I do know a little bit about bankruptcy. And, and what I did from those classes, I learned why a home can still go to bankrupt, I mean, go to foreclosure, even if you file bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So I learned everything about that process. And uh, so it just helped me in my business. So that's part of what the business will teach you. Mm -hmm. Another thing I learned is that I was spending a lot of money. When I would find a seller that did want to sell, I would, uh, the next step is I'd want to know if there's any liens on the property. So I would hire a title company to do a title search. It would take them three or four days. And sometimes the, the title search would come back with three mortgages, two federal tax liens, three judgments, a mechanics lien. And I'd go, oh, my God, I can't buy that house. <laughs> but then they'd hand me an invoice for $150. So I was spending a lot of money on title search work on homes that I wouldn't even buy because of the results. And uh, so I knew I needed to learn about how to do your own title search just to check the records. I'm not saying buy property with your own title search, but I knew I wanted to learn how to do that research myself to save me a little money. And uh, so I found, I looked around in the clubs for anybody teaching it, and I was able to find something through the library on how to go into the courthouse and do title search work. So the point is, is that if you get out there and you get involved in the business, the business will teach you what you need to know. Uh, just one more statement about that. When I... When I ran across my very first vacant property, I was a newbie. I didn't know anything. And I thought the house was vacant because the grass was three feet high. And I looked in the windows, and I, I went around back of the house, and I looked in the window, and some lady was looking right back at me. <laughs> so it turned out it wasn't vacant. And I, I knocked on her door to tell her why I was looking, you know, through the windows. And I told her, I said, I thought it was vacant. I saw the address in the legal notices, and I thought it was a vacant home, and I apologized for snooping around. And she said, well, it is in foreclosure, but if you'd like to buy it, come on in, and I'll show you around. So when I was inside the house, I was absolutely terrified because I had no idea what to look at. I had no idea what to say. And I was so uncomfortable, I just wanted to go home. And uh, I kept saying to myself, if I could get out of here, I swear I'll study those books and tapes like crazy. <laughs> and, uh, so that, that was teaching me what I needed to know. So I knew that I needed to learn uh, how to inspect the property or how to estimate repairs. And uh, so do you see, 
that's what I tell people. I say, if you want to be a real estate investor, get out there and just start practicing. Just start looking at houses and let the business teach you what you need to know. Mm-hmm. After, of course, getting enough basic knowledge that you're not going to uh, <laughs> to make some horrible mistake when you do pull the trigger, but your your point that you can you can only go so far in the classroom, and then it has to be taken out into the world, <laughs> See, or you're not learning anymore. No matter how much more money you spend after a certain point, you're not going to get any more comfortable doing what you're doing until you've gone out and done it. So. Uh, All very good points, and we do need to take a quick break. Uh, Listeners, if you have any questions about the hidden market finding deals, anything you'd like to ask Tony Youngs, give us a call at 877-772-9658. Alternatively, you can send us an email. It's askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Tony Youngs. Tony is going to be in Ohio on March 22nd and March 29th doing all-day seminars for uh, Central Ohio RIA and Cincinnati RIA, respectively, uh, along with his brother, Pete, who was, by the way, a huge hit at the Cincinnati RIA meeting a few weeks ago. Uh, you can get more information on those by going to centralohioria.com if you're in the Columbus area or cincinnatiria.com uh, here in the Cincinnati area. And uh, we do look forward to having you come up here, Tony. I cannot guarantee you that we will not have five inches of snow on the ground like we have for every other speaker who's been here since November. But I am hoping that that's the case. It's actually knockwood, kind of nice outside right now. Okay, well, I'll bring my uh, waterproof boots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're taking questions at 877-772-9658 or at uh, askvina at gmail.com about hidden market properties. Um, and, and, and folks, this is, we are in a market right now, and I'm going to, I'm going to now create a situation where we can never rerun this show as an evergreen. Uh, in March of 2014, where... The MLS inventory that many people have sort of gotten lazy because it was it was so easy to buy bank-owned properties out of the MLS has largely um, it's not it, it's not that it's gone away. There's a lot less of it, and there's a lot more competition from uh, big private equity funds in a lot of the country. So when you do see a bank-owned property go on the market, it doesn't sit there for six months like it used to. It sits there for six days. And it sells for asking price or more than asking price. So these techniques of going out and finding deals that are, are not out there on the open market that are, as Tony calls them, hidden market deals has become extremely, extremely relevant in the last uh, year, 18 months, and are getting more so. And we don't really see an end to that. Now, Tony, that does beg the question because, you know, clearly the market is in at least some sort of a bounce. The foreclosure rate is down. Uh, a lot of the foreclosures that we had that giant bubble of foreclosures that came through in 2008, 2009, 2010, that is beginning to dissipate. A lot of those have worked their way through the system and been sold off. So what is shadow inventory in the sense of properties that are owned by banks but on the market? What What is that looking like right now? Well, I've heard from different sources and I've read a lot of articles, but... Uh 
you know, there's some people that say there's not much of a shadow inventory. First, let me sh- uh, explain what a what I feel the shadow inventory is. It's not just repossessed bank-owned properties that are not listed. It also includes millions of people around the nation who haven't made a payment in a long time, maybe two to three years, but the bank hasn't even started foreclosure yet. And I find a lot of those when I'm working the hidden market. But uh, there's a lot of people that have not made payments on their home, and the bank has not even thought about starting foreclosure. So I still think it's very hefty because there, uh, there's a certain website that I don't know if I'm allowed to mention websites, and I don't really want to do that until, I guess, Saturday. But uh, there's a website where I get some very valid information. And it's a website where people can, if they're thinking about walking away from their property because it's over, you know, it, it's underwater, there's a, a website you can go to 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 do it with the least amount of damage to your credit and the least amount of damage to your life. And uh, and this website has been featured, the people that run it, they've been on all the big shows, CNN, Good Morning America. So they're a very legitimate company. And they say that it's been swept under the table the amount of shadow inventory there is. Because they're saying that just on their website alone, they have over 11 million clients that have contacted them saying, hey, I'm behind, but I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't gotten foreclosed on or the bank hasn't started foreclosure, but I'm thinking about walking away. Mm-hmm. But then I've read other articles that say there's only two or three million people in the United States that are you know, in the shadow inventory mm-hmm. as far as not having foreclosure started on them yet. And that's and so, that's been a that's been a big issue ever since that term shadow inventory started being used back in two thousand eight or two thousand and nine. How do you define it? Are are it, does it only include properties that are in foreclosure or have gotten through the foreclosure process and are not on the market, or does it include all these people who, as you say, are in zombie houses? They're they're they they haven't made a payment in years. The bank has made no move to foreclose. Uh, it's a it's a big political football, is what it is. I mean, if we're yeah. if we're able to say, oh well, there's only a few hundred thousand of these left, then that sounds like really good news for the economy, right? And if we say there's 11 million, it sounds like maybe we're not uh, we're in at best a weak recovery. So people get people get confused about. Uh, I've seen three different definitions. I've seen five different, very widely disparate estimates of what shadow inventory is right now i tend to be with you on the fact in the fact that it's probably on the high end and that that one of the reasons that the foreclosure rate is down is not that there's a ton fewer people who aren't making their payments it's that the banks have gotten frankly smarter I mean, it's a good financial decision not to spend $15,000 foreclosing on a property that's going to be worth $6,000 when you get it, you know, and, 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 and 
in many places, um, if the if the uh, tax folks, you know, because they're the other people that can foreclose, is the is the county tax assessors can foreclose if you don't pay your your taxes. Uh, in many cases, uh, the, those people are three or four years behind in foreclosure. Now they will eventually do it, but so if what the bank is looking at is not only not only do these people still owe me seventy thousand dollars on this property. I'm going to have to pay 15 grand to foreclose, which is about the average of what a bank pays. And when I foreclose, the minimum amount that I am going to have to pay, even if no one bids against me, is the $10,000 in back taxes that are sitting there because they have to be cleared in a foreclosure. So now I'm in for 25000 on a property I'm going to get six for. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to pay an asset manager $2,500 to go in there, clean it up, put a lockbox on, uh, and then I'm going to pay the realtors a minimum commission of $2,500 to sell it. So basically, I'm net, you know, I as the bank am going to net out at some number well below zero <laughs> if, I, if I foreclose. And uh, you know, I run across those situations all the time where people say, you know what, I thought... I, I was surprised to get your letter because I thought that the bank had already foreclosed on me. In fact, they had they sent me a bunch of letters two years ago, and I even got this notice from the sheriff saying the sale was scheduled. And then I guess they never actually did it. And now I'm getting all the, you know, I still owe the taxes and I'm getting all these fines from the city. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but thank you for, you know, writing me because I definitely need to do something. So uh, I... It, What's out there in the in the in the general media about the foreclosure uh, issue is not what we are seeing if we're working on this on the ground every day. So I, Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I I would tend to agree with you that there's a lot there's a lot more of that stuff out there than is getting reported, and and that the reason is it's political. Yes. You know, banks banks want to banks want to support their stock prices. So we're going to say, hey, we don't have that many bad assets. Uh, uh, the 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 government wants to say, hey, everything's going great. Don't worry about it. Reelect me. And <laughs> saying that yeah, the, <laughs> there's 11 million people out there that aren't, you know, whatever uh, is not good PR for for that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm sorry. I know I just got up on my soapbox and interrupted my guest for like five minutes in a row. But uh, <laughs> that, that, that was important well, to say. It was very important to say because it's the absolute truth. I feel the same way. I think they just want to sweep it under the rug. They hardly ever talk about it much anymore because consumer confidence has risen since the recession. So they want, you know, they don't want to, you know, get everybody scared again and make them think that uh, real estate is bad or or the stock market is bad or whatever. They just want everybody to be you know, positive. And, uh, but, you know, the thing you were talking about, that, that same exact thing has been happening all over the state of Florida, too. People thought that they had already lost their home, but the bank decided not to go through with the foreclosure so they didn't have to pay the taxes. And uh, so the homeowners are still living there, and they're getting harassed by tax assessors and everybody saying hey you owe all this money and mm-hmm. they think the bank owns their house mm-hmm. yeah. and it, that's actually become a a, a a sizable area of litigation uh where uh homeowners who particularly if the bank started the process and dropped it which you know again i see that all the time uh the the homeowner is now the homeowners are now 
trying to force the banks to take the properties because uh, otherwise it's not it's not just the taxes because you know the, ta- ta- the taxes kind of resolve themselves the property goes to tax sale you don't owe any more money right but the liens you know I, I thought my property was foreclosed on so I didn't mow my lawn for the last two years <laughs> and, and, the, and the city <laughs> and the city uh, uh, you know has 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 it turns out the city's mowed it 18 times and charged me three hundred dollars each time and I didn't even know about it because the city's sending the mail to my old house and um, you know it's become a real thing and there's some there's been some uh, uh, movements that we've seen at, at the state level in various states to force banks into taking back these properties, which you know that that that's not going to work. They don't they don't have to take back a property just because they had a mortgage on it and they can take it back. There's also been some movements uh, in states like Ohio, where the foreclosure process is very lengthy, which is one of the reasons that it costs so much. And you know, but it takes a year and a half to do a foreclosure. A lot of damage can be done to that property in a year and a half. Yeah. So we've seen some uh, legislators. Uh, trying to create more streamlined uh, foreclosure processes when the owner has abandoned the property. So there's, there's some, there is some recognition out there that this is a problem, uh, sort of society-wide. But to me, the real solution to the problem is you and me and every other real estate investor go around and find these properties and just buy them. And then the taxes get paid and the liens don't happen and the lawn gets mowed and they become you know, a place for somebody to live again. Well, I've always uh, said that uh, because real estate investors do save the economy. Uh, I knew when this crisis started, I kept thinking investors will save the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look back on it, uh, it was the investors and the cash buyers that got the market going again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish they knew that down at Washington, D.C., you know, <laughs> so, Yes, sir, and 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 it's funny because uh, who gets who gets praised and trumpeted on the front pages of the newspaper? It's the nonprofits that uh, got money from the National Community Stabilization Trust and and uh, you know are getting getting properties in first look, and then they're re- they're renovating them and they're selling them uh, largely to homeowners. And this is all done with with taxpayer money, and those guys do uh, seriously. A, a single nonprofit can do maybe three or four of those a year and in any in any real estate association that same thing is happening 400 times a year with 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 you know private money that, that that's not coming out of the taxpayer so uh you know the 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 nonprofits are are claiming victory and you know we, we've 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 solved this foreclosure crisis and the government's claiming victory we finally pumped enough money into the system that we've solved the foreclosure crisis that's, that's not what happened <laughs> yes, i know it. you know i think vena you should go down to washington and tell them the stuff you just told us because it's true and we need to we need to let them know and uh, yes, i do I- know there's lobbyists that go down there but uh, i think we need more of them yeah, not not who say that though, and 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 then and there's very few lobbyists because if if real if small real estate investors had a lobbyist, what they would say is this is what we've done, and I don't want any money for it. <laughs> we're not we're not asking for we're not asking you for to pass laws in our favor. We're not asking you for any money. We're just telling you, <laughs> here's here's what it is. Yeah. Just just don't pass laws that make it harder for us, please. And that's that's that's, right. that's been the real issue. Uh, question here from Tim, uh, who does not say where he's from. He says. Uh, Tony, when you see a property and it shows the current owner as federal home loan, what does that mean and how do you handle it? OK, 
Okay, that's the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Association, and that is Freddie Mac. And Freddie Mac, they will only sell their homes when they're listed on the market with a sign in the yard. Believe me, I've tried to buy a lot of them. And they've been helpful. I've, I've talked to them in person. Uh, and they, but they say that it's their ruling, their law, that they have to put it on the market and have a first look program so that only an owner occupant can make an offer on it for the first few days or weeks before they will take offers from investors or non-owner occupants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so on that one, I would just uh, walk away from it or wait until there's a sign in the yard and then mm-hmm. you know try to you know try to buy it. But you'll probably see multiple offers when it first comes on the market. Yeah, and 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 Tim, just just FYI, if you do get a Freddie Mac property, they are one of the easier institutions to deal with in terms of the offer making process and. Um, their addenda and things like that. So just just track it and wait to see it come on the market. Now, we have one more question here, Tony, in just a minute or two left. Uh, Larry would like to know, what is your typical out-of-pocket expense to put these shadow inventory properties under contract? Uh, it's very inexpensive. What I do is I just, you know, since it's not listed with a real estate agent, I could just use a standard purchase and sale agreement and then I just make the offer and get it signed and then turn it over to whoever's going to do the closing. And so there's no real cost involved until the closing. And if it's a cash deal, the closing costs are very minimal. And, uh, of course, those can be negotiated between buyer and seller. But most of the houses I buy are distressed, so I end up paying the closing costs myself. And uh, that's okay because I like to, you know, either fix them up a little bit and just sell them to an investor who wants to do the cosmetics, or I might sell it in as-is condition. Um, So, but my brother Pete, he's an expert on fixing them up, so he's going to talk about that on Saturday. And, And I understand I know that there's parts of Ohio that have houses you can buy for $5,000, but they need 25000 in repairs. (laughs) And uh, so you have to know, Pete, you know, you really ought to listen to Pete when he talks about fixing things up because he can do $25,000 worth of work for, say, $12,000. So that, that gives you... Good odds. Yeah, and that is not that is not an exaggeration. He <laughs> he showed some videos at the uh, RIA meeting the other day of him uh, turning turning an old countertop into what looked like a brand new countertop for like twenty bucks plus an hour's worth of labor. So uh, I know <laughs> it was it was it was pretty impressive. And uh, folks who are interested in hearing more from Tony and Pete can check out their Saturday sessions that are coming up on March 22nd and March 29th. They will be the same meeting. They're just in two different cities. March 22nd is in Columbus, Ohio. You can get more information about that at centralohioria.com. 
March 29th is here in Cincinnati. You can get more information about that at CincinnatiRia.com. It is, of course, open to anybody who'd like to come. There is a fee attached to it because of the, you know, having to rent the hotel room and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, check them out because these guys have a long history in real estate and uh, have a lot of really good stuff to share, as you have heard today. So, Pete, thank you so much for, or Pete, I just said, I just said Pete, so now I'm calling my guest Pete. Tony, uh, thank you so much for, I'm sure that never happens to you, right? Tony, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and sharing your information about the hidden market. Hopefully our guests will take it to heart, get out there, start driving for dollars and start finding some deals. Uh, We really appreciate you. See you on Saturday and we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.